This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Last weekend was our grandson Wyatt's fifth birthday party. Oh and God, it was an extravaganza. Years. Yeah, can you believe it's been five years? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's wow. crazy. Wow, I stay in my head. He's still this little two-year-old chubby little... Yeah, yeah. Wow. and not even his younger brother is the two-year-old chubby. <laughs> it's amazing how fast time passes with this young is kids. I don't look in the mirror anymore <laughs> because I'm sure it's passing just as quickly for me, but I'm not aware of it. But the party, and this is this is fun. The party was held at this mammoth place i won't i won't give the name of it um but it it was a big place up in fort myers which is about 45 minutes from here that is essentially like a kids indoor playground and they've got trampolines everywhere and they've got these pits like not foam pits that you see where kids jump into it's like these pits that are filled with something that's like a a not very well inflated balloon with something like uh, parachute material over top of it. And it's really huh. just kind of amazing. And when you walk in, you see all this stuff and you see people flying through the air. When I say people, I mean kids yes. like from three to 18. Okay. And you have to sign a waiver with 14 different check boxes. <laughs> To uh, even get in the really door. It's dangerous to have a three-year-old jumping around in the same place as a big teenager. Yes, it, but it all worked. And it was like you'd have these, they have these in-ground trampolines and there'd be a three-year-old on one and right across from them might be a 16-year-old that's doing flips and wow. uh, doing it under control. They had a, they had a thing where you could um, bounce on a trampoline and they had a basketball hoop at the end of it so if you could jump <laughs> high fun. enough and direct yourself well enough you Do could uh, you could dunking. you could dunk the basketball and they had yeah. i've seen things before and i don't i don't know what it's called but it's it's like some sort of thing where you, people are flying through the air hanging upside down on what looks like um material that's hanging from the ceiling and they had that yeah and uh, so that was fun you see a lot of people doing that and so there are two ways you can get in. You can get in with the, I'm just going to watch, or you can get in with the, I'm doing this. Guess which one I did. I'm doing this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now the real story begins. <laughs> I have not been on a trampoline since I was like 15. And after the third bounce, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am going to kill myself. Was it fun? Oh, it was so much fun. And Wyatt and I, there's this one thing where you race for like 25 yards and then you jump as far as you can into this pit. And mm -hmm. when you're five, you land and you sink in like a foot and a half. When you're my age and my weight, 
you you run as fast as you can and you jump as far as you can and you land and you can barely see the ceiling because <laughs> you <laughs> You're sunk in so far <laughs> and in crawling out you like you have to kind of crawl and slide and go to the side and roll and grab material and pull crawling out i was so exhausted <laughs> from crawling out my heart was racing. It was it was so much fun. And then, of course, we would just do it again and again and again and again until he finally got tired of me and wanted to go play with his friends. So what I want to know is, did you get hurt? I did not get hurt. I survived, and uh, I was actually both embarrassed for doing it and proud of myself Never. for surviving. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I, was, I was probably the oldest person doing this stuff by 25 years. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yes, yeah, I, so I felt I felt pretty good about myself. Although Julie was just she was up there with the uh, birthday party goers and just shaking her head. I'm sure. I'm like, go Steve, go Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I probably I don't know would I have been there in the ball pit. It would have depended. It depends, but it sounds like I love trampoline. So it was cool. fun, and yeah, I wished I could have even attempted a flip, but I that yeah no wouldn't have ended well. <laughs> <laughs> Land on my head, break my neck. <laughs> All right, we actually do have a topic today that's not me as an old man bragging about jumping on a trampoline. We are talking about deepening dialogue through character development. This is not the first time we've discussed dialogue. This is not the first time we'll have discussed um, character development. So it feels like an old topic, but I think that this is sort of a new way to approach it. And um, it's it's kind of hard to explain where I'm coming from with this without an example. And Steve has been very kind in allowing me to use his material as a starting point. So when Steve and I, way back when, were going through his the the book that he wrote, we kept hitting some of these scenes where I would be writing in my notes about this this dialogue feels very throwaway, like there's no point to it. And we have discussed on the show, you know, everything has to serve a purpose. Dialogue has to serve a purpose, whatever. But in this particular sense, it kept showing up over and over again that these conversations felt very rushed and they also felt very pointless in that the the plot points were what mattered, but the language used between the characters to get them from A to Z felt very throwaway. And it was difficult for me to know how to explain how to fix that. Like, because it wasn't, they weren't my characters, they weren't my scenes. Um, I couldn't say, hey, this particular thing is missing because I didn't really know what was supposed to be there in the first place. So right now I'm in the process of, um, oh, I'm working on this sixth, seventh Monroe novel. And um, I don't think I mentioned this. On the, I don't, if I mentioned this already before, I'm sorry. I did mention it on Patreon, but I don't remember if we put it here. Is that um, when I outlined this book initially, it was so long ago. And when my, when I do my outlines, they're very um, brief. Like they don't go into a lot of detail. They are the skeleton, the bones that I follow. And I, I'd never really gone back and read the entire outline because 
there was no reason for me to do that. Like I needed, there's nothing I can do to fix the end of the outline. If I haven't already started drafting and creating and filling in the missing pieces at the beginning. So I, I'm working through it, working through it. And I get to this point where I've never managed to get past before and all the stop starts. And I realize there is no second half to this story because the outline that did exist is outdated. I don't remember what I had in mind anymore. Like all whatever was in my head at the time is gone. And the plot points are not substantial enough to actually carry the rest of the story. There's just too much missing. There's no second half. So I've spent so many times going back to the beginning, writing, and then having to stop. So before I can get back into it again, I, I, I got to get myself back into the story, go back to the beginning. So the, the beginning of this story is great. And I've spent so much time getting to this point and there's, it just falls off a cliff. There's nothing there. So all these questions of how these different aspects tie together, they're just gone. There's nothing. So I'm in this stage right now where I, and I've never had to do this before. I've got to plot a second half of a story for first half that's already written and somehow it's got to tie together organically and all make sense and whatever. Right? So that means I'm at this place where I am now finally for the first time in so long writing new material. And so there's this scene. It's a pivotal scene in the story where the story completely takes a turn. And I know what needs to happen from the main character's perspective, plot-wise. I, I know where that scene starts, and I know where it ends, and I know all these major things that have to happen for this tied plot together to work. But as I'm with my very rusty skill set, because it's been so long since I've crafted scenes from scratch, um, I'm, I'm struggling. And I, I have this dialogue that I need to write, and it's it's wrong. The dialogue is wrong. It's it's cheap. It's throwaway. I know it, and I need to figure out how to make it mean something. I need to give this dialogue purpose, and I'm I'm struggling and thinking, you know, I I don't actually know, and it dawns on me, duh, <laughs> okay. And here's the point of what we're getting to. Every character in this story, in any story, is the hero of their own story, the hero of their own life. So even though the story I'm writing, the plot point, follows Monroe, there are all these other characters that come in and out of the story. Well, if you were to look at these as real people, it's, it's like a galaxy where every single one of those people is the star in their own little solar system. And even though I'm focused on Monroe, those other people aren't. They don't care about her. They don't care who she is. They're the hero in their own story. And if you as the author aren't aware of what all those other characters' stories are and they just play these bit parts and they're just sort of these uh, way out there galaxies and just little stars and pinpricks in your night sky. Then when you sit down to write this dialogue, 
it's going to be one-sided. There's only really one half of the conversation that's happening, and that's the half that you're trying to force because you're trying to get your character through all these steps to exit the scene and move on to the next thing. To, to, to truly write this scene, me, in this particular specific instance, the only way it can be done to give the scene and the characters full depth is set Monroe aside and let's go look at these other characters and examine their little solar systems. What do they want in this particular scenario? And this is all, in my particular case, part of this other half of the plot that just dropped off the map that I never fully fleshed out. And I knew pieces of it were missing, but I didn't know that it was all missing. You cannot write this scene without knowing what those other heroes of their own stories are thinking. Even though it doesn't, we never see inside their heads, they are never going to be point of view characters. I still need to know it because that's going to drive their dialogue. Those characters, they want something. They're here in this scene for a reason. They want something. They fear something. There's going to be stakes if they don't get what they want. And part of figuring out the plot, even if they're never going to be able to say those things out loud, is to know what they are. Because then... Now you have a zippered dialogue. You, the author, I, the author, know what those other characters want, know what they're after, and that's going to reflect in the word choices they use. It's going to reflect in their body language, in the way they interact with Monroe, the way they interact with the environment. And even if it doesn't make perfect sense in that moment, Eventually, at the far end, when the plot finally all ties together and we get to the end of the story, those actions have to make sense according to the plot line, the, the whole thing. So when you're writing a scene and you're thinking it feels cheap, this dialogue feels throwaway, there's a really, really good chance it's because you don't know what all the heroes in that story, heroes in their own minds, what they want, why they're there, what they're after. And so, you know, I had that like head slapping moment. Well, duh, of course I'm struggling with this. I, I actually don't know what these other characters are actually trying to achieve here. I only know what Monroe is trying to achieve. So let's go get that all sorted out and come back and revisit the scene and and then write it knowing both per, both halves of the story and then it'll zipper together so that's the process i'm in now but if i had had a way to articulate that way back when when steve and i were discussing the work that he was doing i would have had a better way to tell him how to fix the issues and that is every character is there for a reason and when we're only inside one character's head and we don't know what the other character is thinking, we rely entirely on their dialogue. We rely entirely on their personal interaction as a way. And, and, the, and your main character's um, sort of musings, their inner dialogue about what they perceive the other character to be thinking or doing. So if you don't know why that those other characters are in that scene, what their agenda is, 
why they're going along with they this or what or even if they're manipulating or anything if you don't know any of that it's going to feel like they're just a little you know raft on an ocean that's being swept along they're not going to feel like they're um it really a part of the story they're going to feel like they are objects that are being moved wooden objects being moved around for the sake of the plot for the sake of your character so when you know what it is that your character wants, the other characters wants, not just the point of view character. You use that as your basis for the dialogue. There's a, there's a game going on between the two. They could be competing wants. They could both want the same thing, but for different reasons, whatever it is, unless they are, you know, partners like Sherlock Holmes and Watson, where they are just in tandem going for the same thing, then there's going to be some sort of competition between them, some sort of conflict where their wants and desires do not line up. And and that's going to be expressed in the dialogue, in their interaction, and it's going to deepen the scene and give it purpose. And, and if they are like Sherlock Holmes and Watson, well, they still are not the same person. They're going to be looking at something from two different points of view, two different perspectives. One's going to know something that the other one doesn't. And you you need to know that going into the scene so that it can come out to the dialogue and the dialogue actually has a purpose. And it's not just this throwaway stuff to get you through the filler until you can get on with the next part of whatever happens next. So the point being that every character is a hero in their own story. And when you're not connected to that, it's not going to show up on the page. You need to understand that other character's world, see the story from their point of view, see the scene from their point of view, crawl inside their heads, and then the whole thing will zipper together because you'll have a complete picture of where you're trying to go with this. And it's going to deepen everything along the way. It's going to enrich in the plot. It's going to enrich in the characters. It's going to just give the whole thing that much more that you can, your readers will be more immersed in it because it's got that much more texture to it on all levels. So how much time are you, do you expect this to take? Because what you said was, let's get all, let's get that all straightened out and then I'll come back to it. So how much time do you think it'll take to get these, to get, to get a full enough understanding of these other characters? Well, uh, this is a little side note here. I honestly, when I went into it, did not know if I could actually do it. It was a little terrifying if I could figure out how to make the plot all tied together. And um, every time I would figure out one part of it, it would negate another part of it and make it not make sense. It would make it feel contrived or whatever. And I was sitting there doing a puzzle, trying to let my brain just sort of free flow. And it just hit me, the solution, just all of it, bam, at once, whole, fully formed. So that happened like two days out from realizing that I had a massive problem on my hands is all of a sudden I just, okay, this is how I fix it. And this is their motives. And this is why they did this. And here's what they, this was intending to do. And it was just there. But actually getting that onto the page in story format where the information and the clues are revealed bit by bit, ugh, I don't even know. 
<laughs> I just don't even know. I have because I'm I'm working off of paper now a lot. Um, I have I'm on like my third round of this one particular scene, which is so long it probably will end up being broken down into two chapters. But um, it it my the the page it's all double spaced, you know, uh, inch and a half margins on the sides. It's just completely marked up. Like right now I'm using like a blue Sharpie, fine point Sharpie. It's just the whole page. Pages are just blue, 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 blue notes, uh, ideas, thoughts, cut this, move this over here. What about this? This needs to be blah. And then, you know, it's just these brackets saying dialogue goes here. (laughs) Like it's just a mess. So how long it will actually take, I, I just, I don't even know. I, I finished the whole thing, getting it on paper for this next round. And I'm like, great, I'll just take a day and get it all the no- the notes put in to my file. And I got two pages done out of 20. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. All right, let's let's use a hypothetical example. And this really is a hypothetical example. Let's let's say that you have a a character who needs to rent a car and they they're at the airport, they show up, they're they're there to rent the car, they don't have a reservation and it's like present day where there aren't any cars. And so there, there is a little bit of built-in potential conflict there. There's some stress that, you know, maybe the character doesn't get a car. That's going to cause a problem. How much thought do you give to what the character on the other side, the person at the other end of the counter, is what, what's going into his life so that you can have this fully fleshed out conversation? Okay, so this is actually leads into another topic that, we can't fully explore today. And that is the concept of weight, story weight, item weight, like how much weight, page time, attention you give to a specific thing in the story. The more weight that a person, a character, an item or anything is given, the more important it is, the more the readers perceive it to be important, And if you give too much weight to something that does not deserve it, then it can take your story off in all kinds of tangents that you've got to follow through. So how much attention I would pay to a scene like that would depend on the appropriate story weight. Does it matter? So if the character on the other side of that counter does not matter to the story if anybody could have filled that role then i will pay very little attention to it possibly a brief description just so that there's a quick visual and maybe if if there the scene itself needs some snark then i would create enough for that character that you would feel the snark coming from them is genuine. If the character on the other side is going to have a nervous breakdown, then ditto. Um, If the character is irrelevant, then I might not describe anything. If the scene itself does not matter to the story, except as a transition to something else, I might summarize it and just say, you know, 
that, you know, went to the, there are no rentals available. And so turned right around and went this other direction and you never even see the characters that they were interacting with. And that is all something that has to be decided by the author in the moment based on the genre, based on the voice, based on the story itself, based on uh, how much attention to other types of detail you're giving so that the, the balance is weighted. There's a weighted balance that you don't give a lot of attention to other th- small things, but then nothing to that. Um, it is one of those things that you feel it with your hands, like you can touch it, but you can't say in a concrete number, this is how it is. Actually, part of that is coming from a discussion that uh, Carol brought up in the Facebook group. And she made a funny joke about how maybe you could, maybe she didn't mean it as funny. I laughed it off. She's like, oh, maybe you could figure out a formula of this plus this plus that equals weight. And I was like, yeah, I'm not smart enough to do that kind of math. Um, So maybe there is a formula for it, but I don't know what it is. All right. Well, that was uh, an interesting topic. It, it sounds like it would be an interesting topic. We should do the uh, we, we should do, we the should do show. Yeah, yeah, we should do a show on weight. But as for this particular topic, um, it's really about if these are characters that matter, right? And in this particular mm-hmm. instance, in mine, they do. In the the instances that we were going through your story, they did. Um, knowing both sides, what is their agenda here? What are they after? There's going to be this cat and mouse give and take back and forth interchange or interplay in the dialogue. Everybody wants something. What does everybody want? If you don't have that, you're going to have these very empty throwaway interactions that are going to make the scenes feel rather pointless. Which we do not want. No, most definitely. (laughs) All right. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you guys very much for listening. We will be back again next Tuesday. Thanks for being with us here, guys. We'll see you next week.